Hi, welcome to 15 Minutes on Health Inequalities. In this episode, we are going to be talking with Mike Green about his recently published paper examining the impact of UK tobacco control policies on inequalities in smoking among young people. I'm Anna Pierce from the MRC CSO Social and Public Health Sciences Unit at the University of Glasgow. And with me today we have... I'm Lindsay Gray, also from the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit. And Mike Green, also from the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit. Right, thanks everyone. So I'm going to kick off by um, asking you, Mike, what is it exactly that you were looking at in this study? Um, so we were looking at um, two policies in relation to um, smoking that were implemented around 2007. Um, so one is the, the smoke-free public places legislation. And so it's often kind of referred to as like the, the ban on smoking in public places, or uh, the smoking ban. And that the, also around the same time, there was a change in the legal age for purchase of cigarettes uh, from 16 to 18 years. And so we were looking at the, the impact that kind of implementing these two policies had on, on different stages of early adolescent youth smoking uptake. And specifically, we wanted to understand whether there were inequalities in the impacts that these policies had on youth and, and how they take up smoking. Thanks. Um, so why was it important to carry out this, this work? Well, so like the, the smoke-free legislation, for example, I think in the UK that's you know widely seen as a success and not something we would ever consider kind of rolling back. But there are still you know many countries globally that, that don't have similar policies in place. And so understanding all the kind of range of different impacts of these policies can help potentially encourage other countries in implementing those. And more generally smoking, we know, you know, it, we know it's really, really bad for health, but we also know it makes big contributions to inequalities in health. But we don't know a huge amount yet about how to reduce kind of inequalities in who smokes and because the patterning of who smokes really kind of makes a difference in terms of then inequalities in health. Um, and evidence on, on how to kind of reduce inequalities, particularly among youth, is, is particularly kind of sparse and mixed. And so it's important that we kind of understand how we can reduce kind of inequalities in youth taking up smoking. And, and kind of the focus on youth is really important because that's when many smokers kind of first start smoking and really kind of develop and establish their habit. And then it, it then carries on later through life. And so if we can kind of solve inequalities in, in the kind of early uptake, then, then that can help reduce the, the later inequalities in, in who smokes and, and, and how that then leads on to inequalities in health. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit more about the data that you used to assess the impact on youth smoking on the tobacco policy? Yeah, so the data came from annual surveys of youth who were aged uh, between the ages of 11 and 15 in a kind of representative sample of UK households. Um, so that the households are surveyed kind of on an annual basis. Um, we had close to 15,000 youth who were included with it. Um, within a period of around 20 years that ranged from sort of the mid-90s through to 2016. So it covered the period we were looking at, covered several years before and after the legislation was implemented. Uh, and we just kind of looked at youth when they were aged from 11 to 15 within that period. Right, and so what about the study design, the approach to the analysis? Yeah, so the, the study design is what we call a natural experiment. So we're, we're taking advantage of the kind of being the implementation of this major policy change and trying to compare what was happening before with what was happening after. Um, and if kind of <clears throat> based on that, if we're willing to assume that kind of the youth 
before and after the change were more or less comparable. There weren't kind of really any other big changes happening at the same time. Then it kind of suggests that the impacts are due to the policy. And if you think that there's not, you know, some other big difference between the youth sort of before the change in policy and the youth after the change in policy. And we don't really have any kind of a priori reason to think that there were other changes happening at the same time. So, Mike, you considered youth smoking uptake as a series of transitions. Can you walk us through those? Yeah. So, you know, taking up smoking is is kind of a process. It doesn't happen all at once. You know, a, a young person might, you know, first pick up a cigarette and they might try it out. Um, and then they might go and kind of go through a phase of just sort of smoking occasionally, um, like a bit here and a bit there. They might then, you know, they might or they might never kind of pick up another cigarette after trying it the first time. Uh, they might kind of smoke a bit occasionally and then quit, or they might kind of go on to kind of smoking more regularly. And, and particularly if, if young people kind of get to the stage of smoking daily quite early on, then that tends to be associated with them kind of smoking more heavily and for a longer period of the rest of their life. And so it's important to try and prevent that. And uh, it's important to sort of look at these stages because the factors that might kind of lead to or affect, you know, one stage of the process might be relevant in the next. So the factors that might lead to somebody, you know, first picking up a cigarette and trying it out might be quite different to, to what leads to them, you know, taking another cigarette or, or for, that lead to them kind of quitting or that lead to them kind of progressing onto daily smoking. I think that sounds thorough and reflective of reality, I suppose. I'm interested in um, how did you deal with the fact that the two tobacco control policies you were looking at, so the legislation on the smoke-free public places and the increase in the legal age of tobacco for um, the legal age for tobacco purchase, the fact that they both occurred around about 2007, but actually it was, yeah, it was within a two-year period. So just interested in how you dealt with that. Yeah, thanks. I think that's a really important question and it's important for kind of how we interpret the results from, from this study. So you asked before about the study design and I talked about it being a natural experiment where we're, you know, we're seeing this change at a particular point in time. And we're kind of assuming that the, you know, the, the youth sort of either side of that policy change are more or less comparable um, in order to kind of interpret it as an effect of the policy. Um, but with the policies coming in so close together, um, that actually means it's quite difficult to sort of disentangled the effects of the two policies. So when we first started this project, we had intended to try and distinguish the two, the two effects, but actually like the implementation of the policies only differed by, by one year, and that was only in, in Scotland and in Northern Ireland. And so when we kind of looked more closely at the data, um, there was only kind of less than 1% of the information going into the statistical model um, was actually had kind of had different coverage of the policies. Um, and so if the if the data for the coverage of the two policies is almost identical in that way, then it's really difficult to do anything with statistics to separate the effects. What we tried to do was kind of run two analyses, one for each policy, and see if the findings were, were basically consistent, and, and they, they tended to be. But I think more generally, in terms of how we interpret our findings, it's, it's important to recognize that these policies are coming in at the, pretty much the same time. And so um, what we're looking at in terms of the findings is really the synergistic effect of the two policies coming in together. Thanks, Mike. I think all three of us do love to hear all about the methods, and so that's been really interesting. But moving on to the results, what were your main findings? And did you find anything that was unexpected? 
um, and I don't know about unexpected, because <laughs> um, I don't know what we necessarily did expect to find. <laughs> it was, um, I think in some ways it was quite an exploratory study <laughs> in terms of thinking about, you know, we don't know really what impact this, these policies are having and we'd like to understand it better. What we did find, a lot of the kind of key findings were in relation to, to the very first stage of taking up smoking, which is initiation. So that's like, you know, just picking up the cigarette and trying it for the first time. And what we found is that the policies seem to show an immediate decrease um, in, in the likelihood of initiating after the policy was implemented. Um, but importantly, that was followed by a kind of a kind of a longer term decrease in the inequalities in trying smoking, so initiating smoking. Um, so that took a bit longer to actually show the, the kind of decrease in the inequalities, but it did come uh, as you get a few years on from the policies being implemented. And then uh, in terms of the other stages of smoking uptake, we, what we saw is that the kids who did try were then eventually a bit more likely to, to kind of go on to occasional smoking uh, and a little bit less likely to quit. But that was probably to do with kind of having prevented the kids who were least likely to kind of continue from ever trying in the first place. So of those who, who tried smoking in our study, around three quarters of them didn't stop there. They progressed to occasional smoking. Um, and we did see that young people from kind of more disadvantaged backgrounds were more likely to progress beyond trying um, and to progress on to kind of daily smoking. And so that kind of difference in progression might kind of dampen the effect of reducing inequalities in initiation. But still, you can't progress without trying initially. Um, so if you can reduce the inequalities in that initial trying, you'll almost always reduce the inequalities in, in whether kids actually become regular smokers unless you know, none of those that you prevent from trying would have gone on to become regular smokers, which is quite unlikely. Okay. Um, do you think the policy impacts could have been in some way modified by the parents' smoking behaviours? Was this something you were able to look at? Yeah, so we, we did have some data in the study on, on parental smoking, um, and we have a follow-up paper that's uh, kind of planned to look at that. Uh, we just haven't quite been able to complete it due to me kind of moving on to other work, especially during the recent pandemic. But yeah, that, that was certainly something we wanted to look at going in, and particularly in relation to the two policies. Um, so the, the two policy changes were the kind of smoke-free public places legislation and then the change in legal age from 16 to 18. Now, the youth we were looking at are all kind of below the age of 16. So it, they're kind of all kind of smoking before they're kind of legally allowed to purchase cigarettes. But we thought that that change in, in age um, wouldn't necessarily affect parents because, you know, the parents would usually be above that age, whereas they would be kind of probably more strongly affected by the smoke-free public places legislation. So kind of just conceptually, we thought that by looking to see if there's kind of a mechanism through parental smoking, that it might help to distinguish which policy is perhaps more important. And of course, something else that's happened um, since the time of the policy change is the, um, the introduction and growth of e-cigarette use. And do you, do you have thoughts on what role e-cigarettes might have played in the results that you've observed? Yeah, so e-cigarettes kind of really began to rise in popularity from around 2011. Um, so they would really have only affected the last few years of the data we were looking at. And we did make some adjustment in our analyses for um, kind of national estimates of e-cigarette prevalence among adults and um, to look at if kind of that kind of rising prevalence of e-cigarettes was, was making a difference. 
and I know kind of just more generally kind of in, in the media and things there have been some concerns about like e-cigarettes renormalizing smoking and particularly among youth um, you know kids trying e-cigarettes and then going on to regular smoking but there's really kind of fairly little evidence of this so far and the prevalence among youth remains pretty low in the UK um, and if anything e-cigarettes may be helping some youth to, to quit so I mean it didn't really change our results very much when we adjusted for kind of rising e-cigarette prevalence uh, so I don't think that they that e-cigarettes really played a major role in what we're observing here it's more to do with the policies okay so I'm wondering about the potential for response bias um, do you think it's possible that after the legislation was introduced people became less likely to report smoking behaviors because um, it was perceived potentially to be even less socially desirable than it, than it was before those policy changes. I mean, I think it's possible, but it doesn't seem plausible to me that it would be kind of that that would fully account for the effects that we're seeing. It would have to be quite a strong effect, I think, to account for the results we're seeing. And, you know, I, I mean, I think generally like these, so the way these questions are asked, um, the youth kind of fill out the questionnaire on their own with kind of little risk of interference from parents kind of seeing their answers uh, and there are you know there are studies kind of suggesting that self-reports of smoking are reasonably reliable and can give us a good idea of of who smokes and the other thing i would say into that is that um you know social desirability doesn't just affect like our responses it also affects like people's behavior um so if smoking's big you know there's a big drop in smoking being seen as less socially desirable, then there's probably a good chance that that is also affecting their behavior as well as their reporting of the behavior. Yeah, it would seem odd to me if it didn't also affect <laughs> their actual behavior <laughs> and it only affected their reporting. So Mike, do you have any other future analyses planned? I've wanted to kind of more explore kind of what's going on with e-cigarettes among youth and inequalities in that and, and kind of how parents' use of e-cigarettes and things might relate to youth smoking. And we've already um, put out a couple of articles on that. Um, maybe we can add the links. Sure. So as and when it's going to be possible, um, is there the chance to follow up the same respondents into adulthood um, to see fines and smoking initiation were in fact just delays in some way? Yeah, so it would be possible to look at that. It would certainly be possible because the study continues to follow um, these kids um, and follows them into adulthood. Uh, and you can match up the data with the early initiation. I mean, I haven't personally made any like direct plans to look at that because I've been kind of sidelined onto other work. But I think in relation to that, that it's important to recognize that um, even if there was delays, and it's probably still quite important because delaying initiation kind of beyond that sort of early stage from sort of age 11 to 15, if you can delay initiation beyond that, then actually people will tend to, to smoke kind of less heavily and less consistently for the rest of their life. Um, it's the earliest initiators who tend to smoke more heavily um, for longer periods of their life. So there is kind of some suggestion that even just delaying could be beneficial. Thanks, Mike. Um, I think that's a really important point um, and well put. So thinking of the, the results from this particular study, what would your main messages be for those who are considering implementing similar smoking legislation, say policymakers in other nations? 
I mean, I think my short answer to that would be uh, just do it, which is, you know, is in some ways is easy to say, but, but um, you know, I think these results and lots of other results looking at particularly the, the smoke-free public places legislation are very supportive of them having beneficial effects. And these results support that, you know, a reduction in kids trying smoking and a reduction in inequalities in kids trying smoking. So I think, you know, they, they add to a wider body of evidence that says that these policies are, are really you know, good and effective and can really help. And so I think it's important that people consider, you know, that, that countries consider implementing policies like these if they don't already have them in place. So this has been fascinating discussing your work with you and um, just kind of coming to a conclusion with this. So as always in the podcast series, we'd like to finish up asking what the sort of overall main implications are for health inequalities. Yeah, so, and I would say just, you know, thanks for having me <laughs> and giving me a chance to talk about my work. But yeah, I think the main implications are that these policies, so the smoke-free public places legislation and uh, a change in the legal age of cigarette purchase, you know, moving it up from 16 to 18. What we saw from our study was that these policies seem to reduce inequalities in youth smoking uptake. And that can be a really important um, thing because it likely then leads to reduced inequalities in adult smoking and then that likely leads to reduced inequalities in, in health um, and that's what we want really. So thanks Mike for chatting to us today and also to those of you listening. Links to the paper and the biographies of today's participants can be found in the podcast notes um, and we hope to see you all next time. <laughs>